The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a kick. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown in stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house. Sideline. Pylon. Touchdown. And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, who is usually joined by my co-host, Aaron Murray. But Aaron has a Thursday night game on CBS Sports Network this week, so he's a little bit busy. We are going to recap week 11 of this past weekend's college football season, and what a weekend it was. We saw LSU and Alabama clash in Tuscaloosa. Georgia took on Missouri. Minnesota took down Penn State. And the college football playoff picture continues to get more and more in focus as each and every weekend passes by. So, filling in his space, you heard him a couple of weeks ago. None other than Ryan Skates from the Poor Man's Game Notes. Follow Ryan on Twitter, at Ryan Skates, and at Poor Man's Game Notes on Instagram. Follow Aaron as well if you don't already. He is at AaronMurray11. I am at DrewButler13. And this, of course, is Punt and Pass. Follow us at Punt and Pass. On Twitter and Instagram, what a weekend it was, Skates. Thanks so much for joining me on last second notice. But if anybody follows Ryan Skates and follows the poor man's game notes, as they should if they're not already, they probably know that you are a closet LSU fan. You might be coming out of the closet in that sense after what an amazing victory the Tigers had this past weekend against the Tide. Give me your initial thoughts, and then we'll kind of dive deep into what happened in Tuscaloosa. Well, what LSU did on Saturday in Alabama is what every college football fan would love to see their team do against Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide, and especially for a Georgia guy who's had their heart ripped out by Alabama so many times. It was so cathartic to see the Tigers roll into Bryant-Denny Stadium and crush the hopes and dreams of 100,000 Alabama fans over the course of three hours. What a day. It really was. It was quite a day, and everybody knows my wife went to Alabama, so, you know, I root for them until they play Georgia pretty much. But I just couldn't stand during the build-up to the game how Alabama coaches, players, fans, media were playing like this underdog, chip-on-the-shoulder slant slash narrative for the Crimson Tide. I mean, give me a break. First off, they were nearly touchdown favorites 
in Vegas. They were ranked just behind LSU heading into the game because that's more of what LSU was able to do throughout their first eight games of the season, having been undefeated, beaten top 10 ranked Florida, beaten top 10 ranked Auburn, and having the ability to get the monkey off of their back that was Alabama. LSU had not beaten Alabama since 2011. Obviously, Joe Brady leads that offense, quarterbacked by Joe Burrow, and people are sitting there going, this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I did not think so. I thought Alabama would win. I thought the defenses would tighten up a little bit, expecting more of a national championship flavor to this game. But a 23-point second quarter by LSU just absolutely shot the Tigers out of a cannon. They were up 33-13 to at half. That Tua Tungavailoa fumble on the first drive, look, if Alabama scores on the first drive and goes up 7-0, I think it's a different ball game. But that interception before halftime, unbelievably uncharacteristic by Alabama. I mean, it's like you weren't even watching the same Crimson Tide team that we've all come to know and expect weekend to weekend. But LSU, Coach O, fired up in the locker room after the game, 46-41. to Where does Alabama stand now? Where will they be tomorrow night in the second installment of the college football rankings? You have to think they're going to be number four. And I think the strongest case against them being number four would be maybe putting Georgia at number four. But that Georgia loss against South Carolina is not even in the same ballpark as this Alabama loss to LSU. I mean, Give Alabama credit. They were down huge at the half. And just like we all have come to know and expect from Nick Saban, they came storming back in the second half when uh, a lot of other teams would not have had the heart to do something like that. And if uh, the other team we're comparing them to for that fourth spot is Georgia, if you compare the second-half effort that Georgia had in their loss at home versus the second-half effort that Alabama had at their loss at home, I got to think you're still going to give it to Alabama. Um, that's not to say that Alabama is still in control of their own destiny. That's just, I think they're number four at this point in time. Um, but if Georgia can win the rest of their games, certainly that will include a win over LSU and uh, leapfrogging Alabama at that time, but but Georgia isn't there yet. So do you agree that the committee should value your best loss more than your best win? Because Georgia has two top 15 victories, according to the college football playoff rankings, of course, being against Florida and Notre Dame. But Alabama's best win, and I say that with air quotes going up right now, I mean, what is it, Texas A&M? They're not even in the top 25. Tennessee, is that their best win when Mac Jones came in and saved the day when Tua Tungavailoa went out with an injury? I just don't see how the committee can value your best loss more than your best win. And when they do put Alabama at number four, as I agree with you that they will tomorrow night, are they not 100% contradicting what they did to Clemson just a week ago by putting Clemson at number five? You heard Bill Hancock, the executive director of the College Football Playoff Committee, come out and say, what Clemson has done in 2018 and still being undefeated defending national champions has zero implications on how we measure them in the first week of the college football playoff rankings. Alabama 
hasn't done shit. And I'm sorry to say that, but they have not done a damn thing in 2019. This is recency bias. This is having brand equity. And it's exactly what the committee said that they weren't doing a week ago to Clemson, but they will gain favor and give it to Alabama when Clemson's ranked third tomorrow night and Alabama is ranked fourth. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, Drew, if you're going to pick this moment to start calling out Bill Hancock and <laughs> that control college football for being hypocritical, I mean, you are way late to the party. Uh, there's just no way you can believe what those guys say from one week to another. All they care about are television ratings and all they're trying to say in between uh, releases of the rankings or whatever's going to drive up TV rankings that week so they can go a year later and sell that same TV package to another network for more money. That is what their sole focus is. So you can go ahead and throw parody and all the other stuff out of the window. Um, I still think Alabama's best win was the second half of their loss. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So Alabama showed more heart in that second half than I think we've seen in any half from any other one-loss team in the country. And for that reason, I think they deserve to be number four. And of course, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt when you have Tua Tungavaloa as your quarterback. Yep. You've seen all the great things he's done. And you have Nick Saban as the head coach. I mean, you're going to go ahead and you have to assume those guys have the grit because they've shown it so many times in the past, even if it hasn't been this season. Um, but they have what it takes to be that number four team. Yeah. If you, do, you, do you think today Georgia would be uh, favored over Alabama on a neutral field. Oh, I don't God, think there's no. any way. No, there's so, there's I mean, no there's, chance. There's but your I, answer. I, I would agree with you in that, and I highly doubt that's how the committee will evaluate these two teams. But I'm sick of the narrative saying, oh, well, they have a far better loss. I, I just don't agree with that, and I cannot stand the changing of measurables by the committee week to week. It's why last week I said there needs to be more transparency to the process. And now I have to listen to Heather Denich from ESPN, who I guess official title is college football playoff reporter. I mean, it shocks me that that's what she's able to do, but she sits there and says she thinks Alabama's done. There's no way. The committee will put Alabama number four because they know they will get the easy way out. If Georgia wins this weekend at Auburn, they clinch the SEC East, and that will handle itself. Georgia has to win the SEC championship in order to play its way into the college football playoff. But again, the loser of the championship game, the conference championship game, gets penalized it's the exact same thing that happened to Alabama two years ago when Georgia beat Auburn in the SEC championship game and it's what Notre Dame is able to do if they run the table in the regular season sit out conference championship weekend let everybody beat up on each other and then develop and 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 look at where the chips fall after the fact coach Saban will be on college game day conference championship weekend coach Saban will be making the rounds at ESPN's car wash conference championship weekend essentially running for office telling the public telling the committee telling college football fans why Alabama should deserve and be in the college football playoff it's already going to happen he might as well already have his travel booked. It's crazy, but again, I agree with you. Alabama will be ranked number four, and I think it's unfortunate that we're talking more about that 
than LSU being the number one ranked team in the nation. Give me your thoughts on the Coach O video that came out after the game where he had a couple of things to say about Roll Tide. If you haven't seen that video and you're listening to this, text me personally. Drew will give you my phone number, and I'll send it to you. I'm afraid to say what he said out loud on the radio or on a podcast, but, man, that is exactly what you want to see from a college football coach. All these college football fans who love to talk about what a great person a coach might be and, and how much integrity a coach might have, or how smart a coach might be, that's all well and good, but you're not paying a college football coach to be a nice guy. You want him to go out and kick ass and take no prisoners, and that's exactly what LSU has in Ed Orgeron. And how can you not pull for that team? I mean, they are just doing everything exactly how you would want any college football team you're pulling for uh, to perform, and uh, it's it's a thrill to watch them, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, for uh, me as a Georgia fan, and Drew, you too as a Georgia fan, to see how our boys stack up against the purple and gold in Atlanta come December. Yeah, I'm not worried. Well, okay, let me just say this. I'm not worried in the sense that Georgia has a fantastic defense, pitching their third shutout this past weekend against Missouri of the 2019 season, the first Georgia defense to do that since 1981. Look, if you can run the ball and you have a stout defense, which Georgia does, you're going to have a chance in just about every game. But here are my thoughts on the Coach O video. One, yes, it's awesome. Two, the kid who leaked the video, I mean, come on, dude. You got to have a little bit more awareness of this situation when you go IG live after you just knocked off Alabama for the first time in eight years. Not the smartest thing to do. I hope he's got a ton of morning ranks because that stuff is meant to stay in the locker room. I loved it. I absolutely loved it, and it's what they deserve to do. Celebrate in that moment. Be raw. Be emotional. And Coach O is probably the best at doing that. I thought it was awesome when the LSU players ran over to the recruiting area at Bryant-Denny Stadium and were yelling at their recruits, come to Baton Rouge, we're changing how things are done in the SEC West. I mean, that is the definition of savage. That is a prepared, and you know that you were going to do that after you won the game. So LSU was coming in guns blazing into Bryant-Denny Stadium, and they were able to back it up. Joe Burrow pretty much solidified himself as the Heisman favorite now, 31 to 39, nearly 400 yards and four touchdowns. Tua Tungavailoa had that costly pick before the end of the first half, the fumble to start the game as well. And uh, wow, what a fantastic football game. You might see these two teams play again, but it lived up to the hype. LSU winners in Tuscaloosa, 46 to 41 and they will be the number one ranked team in the nation tomorrow night in the second installment of the college football playoff rankings crazy that ohio state scored 73 points skate is going to drop back to number two i think it's more so what lsu has been able to do rather than a referendum on ohio state but ohio state had 40 first downs and 705 total yards compared to maryland's only 139 total yards. Ohio State's about as complete a football team as you'll find. Give me your thoughts on your boy Justin Fields leading the Buckeyes to a 9-0 start, and then I want your thoughts on the Chase Young development suspended this past weekend for taking a loan from a family friend who I guess might be an agent. He has since paid it back. We don't know how long he'll be suspended for the rest of the season. 
Uh, well, so first about Justin Fields. Uh, I'm excited being from Kennesaw to see Justin Fields do well at Ohio State. Uh, it breaks my heart as a Georgia fan for us to have this amazing defense this year. And the the unit that is AWOL is our offense. And then you look over to Ohio State and they're, what, what did you say they had, 40 first down? 40 first down, 705 total yards. But do you think Justin Fields, if he was at Georgia, if for some reason, say, Jake Fromm had gotten hurt this offseason and Fields was going to be the starter for the entire season, would they be running a completely different offense built around Justin Fields, or would they still be leaning heavily on that stable of running backs with a solid offensive line? Well, no, it would be the same Georgia offense. And that is a huge indictment on the University of Georgia coaching staff. When you see what they could have done with that talent happening up at Ohio State, when you look at LSU and you saw how last year after they realized they were never going to be the elite program in the SEC running the same kind of offense that we've seen from Georgia and we're seeing again this year um, and the success they've had moving away from that and then you look at where Georgia's struggling it's it's really maddening as a Georgia fan so I, I agree with you if Justin Fields is at Georgia I think we probably are in the exact same position that we are now uh, if we're looking at the Georgia program um, but it's incredible to see him get unleashed at Ohio State, and uh, there's a lot of people making no it's Georgia to bring that kind of excitement here, and it, it hasn't happened yet. And when you see it happen there, it makes you scratch your head a little. Um, but moving to Chase Young, I mean, he's a great player. Every person in the South surely is going to think about A.J. Green and think about Todd Gurley when you hear about that story um, where they took huge suspensions and derailed Todd Gurley's Heisman season for signing a few autographs. And it's hard to take the NCAA seriously when you're watching a broadcast and you have Chase Young, who's a star player, out for the game for taking what could not have been a very substantial loan from a family friend. And meanwhile, you're seeing the Taco Bell Live Moss student section and, you know, the Nissan Heisman House and all these other things. Everybody is making so much money off of these kids except for the kids. And these are the guys who are going out and literally bashing their bodies for 60 minutes um, for the glory of their school and uh, for the benefit of people who are indignant about the idea of them getting real money for that uh, effort they're putting forth. It's just, uh, it's just wild to me. I'm the last person to ever feel bad for Ohio State, but what's happening to him is just wrong. Yeah, it is. It's just wrong. He put out a statement. I think that was his first mistake. I don't think he should have said anything, Ryan. I think he should have played. Look, if he's innocent, go out there and play. I know Ohio State is keeping him off the field. It's not like Chase Young can just go out there and say, hey, I'm playing. Screw off. But look at what Cam Newton did. Cam Newton didn't say anything. He just kept his mouth shut, kept playing. But again, that's Auburn. Not Ohio State. Ohio State probably going to have to play by the rules a little bit closer to the chest, especially after what happened with the gold chains, Michigan game, hardware, all that stuff. But Ohio State, a complete football team. Hopefully Chase Young can get back onto the field soon. You'd love to see what he could do against Penn State and then Michigan to end the season heading into the Big Ten Championship game. All right, let's get a couple of quick hitters here before we wrap this up. Minnesota beat Penn State 
in Minneapolis, 31 to 26. Penn State was undefeated, ranked number four in the college football playoff rankings. Minnesota still undefeated, nine and zero. Why were they ranked number 17 last week in the initial college football playoff rankings? Because the committee was telling you they hadn't played anybody. Where do they go now? I think they should be in the five, six, seven range, and they remind me them and Baylor are really interesting cases to me because if they win out, think about this. If they win out and win their conferences, are they automatic shoe-ins to the college football playoff? I don't know. Minnesota's got a tough stretch at Iowa. They're going to play Wisconsin at home November 30th and then probably most likely going to play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Can the Golden Gophers run the table, and how much do you love P.J. Fleck? Huge fan of P.J. Fleck and the energy he's brought to that school. Nobody here ever thinks of Minnesota and power football, um, and that's reflected even with the college football committee, the playoff committee, putting them at number 17 last week. If those guys are able to run the table and they're able to beat Ohio State, absolutely they should be in the playoff. If they drop a game on the way over there, they absolutely should not be in the playoff. There should not be a one-loss Minnesota team, non-conference champ, or even, I don't know, maybe a one-loss conference champ Minnesota would be a different story. But I'm a firm believer that if you're from one of the big five conferences and you're undefeated and you win your conference championship game, whether you're Baylor or Texas, whether you're Minnesota or Ohio State, you should be in the playoff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see how those two teams finish out the season, but Minnesota gets a huge win over Penn State. And again, the committee was telling me that Penn State was one of the top four teams in the nation just a week ago. I cannot wait to see where Penn State goes and where Minnesota ends up after their big win this weekend. And the Georgia Bulldogs, we said they could make a case for the number four spot. They get their third shutout of the 2019 season, beating Missouri 27 to nothing. Kelly Bryant did not play for the Tigers. He was ailed by a hamstring injury. Your boy Jake Fromm goes 13 to 29 for 173 and two touchdowns, both to George Pickens. Rodrigo Blankenship goes four of five. They win 27 to nothing, and they have a massive game coming up this weekend. Heading to Auburn, it's the 3:30 game. On CBS, Kirby Smart has yet to win on the road in an SEC West Stadium. He's going to try to have to tackle Gus Malzahn's offense led by Bo Nix. And I think this year, more than any, Georgia matches up really well against this Auburn team, opening as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Give me a quick breakdown on what happened this past weekend against Missouri and how you're looking towards the Deep South's oldest rivalry this weekend. Any fan of defense is going to be a huge fan of this Georgia team. And it is so great to see the Georgia D playing with a ton of pride and a lot of grit uh, down the stretch against some tough teams. We saw them keep Georgia in that South Carolina game long after that game should have been over. We saw them this week. It looked like for sure from the three, the no rushing touchdown streak was going to come to an end and they keep them out of the end zone altogether. Um, this defense is a joy to watch, and they're playing mean as hell. Uh, the offense is a different story, and now we're going in with a lot of injuries to Auburn. We do match up well with Auburn in that they have a great defense and a shaky offense. Uh, 
uh, it's going to be a low-scoring game. More interesting than the line to me is going to be the over-under. It can't be more than 30, I would say. I mean, I was going to say 38 and a half, 39 points total. Um, and, you know, if, if the over-under is 10, I might take the under. <laughs> uh, and, and you might see more points scored by the defenses or as many points scored by the defenses, at least as you would from special teams, including points after kick, I think. Um, it's going to be whichever defense creates more havoc. And that's been the one thing that Kirby's been talking about since this time last year is a havoc rate. And if we can get some kind of turnover or some kind of momentum, I think the dogs match up well. If it comes down to our offense, our playmakers having to will us to a win, we could be in trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's just a tough spot for Georgia. They have to win this weekend, and if they do win, they will clinch the SEC East, so you know that they've got a ton to play for. Rewind two years ago. They already had the SEC East wrapped up. They were number one team in the nation, 9-0, and and got schlacked by Auburn. That was a completely different Auburn team, much more explosive on offense. Auburn's defense this year, really the strength of that football team, and I'm on Twitter right now, Skate Sports by Brooks is reporting that Jimmy Rain, who is an Auburn Board of Trustee, is possibly canvassing for head coaching candidates, thinking that Gus Malzahn could take the Arkansas job. That obviously is not going to happen, but a great storyline for Georgia fans to be able to read the tea leaves on before Georgia heads to Auburn this weekend. But tell me what your thoughts are after Georgia pitched their third straight shutout. I know you just said if you're a fan of gritty defenses and teams that really play their ass off, this Georgia team is for you. More importantly, it would be an epic failure if Georgia did not get to Atlanta. What are their chances of beating LSU in the SEC championship game? I can't think they're very high, Drew, but yeah. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. The only maybe optimistic explanation I can have when we beat LSU is that our leader on our offense, our quarterback, seems to really be playing afraid of getting hurt. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that I'm sure he's been told you cannot get hurt. Yeah. We are not going to win anything with Stetson Bennett, the fourth coming in. Uh, I mean, I think Joe Tereshinsky, the third from, you know, 15 years ago is probably twice the quarterback this kid was. Whenever your quarterback has Roman numerals on his nameplate, you're in trouble. <laughs> but Georgia's only chance to win this game is for Jake Fromm to finally stop playing like he's afraid to get hurt. Um, to step into some hits, to tuck the ball and put his head down, buckle his chin strap up, and take a mean defense on head first and will this team to win. This team is winning. Georgia's winning based off of the talent discrepancies they have over the other defense and the fact that the other offenses aren't scoring many points. If Georgia sees LSU in the SEC championship game, you better believe LSU's going to score some points, and we're going to need to see a big performance from the quarterback, something like we saw from Aaron Murray when he was at Georgia, where he would he would tuck his chin into his chest, bloody up his jersey, and would not accept defeat. And that is not something we've seen from Georgia's quarterback this season. Yeah, and he really has yet to be put in that situation. But like you said, and you make a great point, you know for a fact he's been told, protect yourself, you cannot get hurt, we do not have depth on the quarterback position 
on our roster. But if he's given that opportunity where they can just open it up, go balls to the wall, and know that they've got four and a half weeks until the college football playoff, if they were able to squeak out a victory against LSU in the SEC championship game, that would be his opportunity. But Georgia knows that they have to get past Auburn this weekend in order to have that opportunity. I think that they will. I think Georgia wins a close game, and they like these types of games. And again, you just can't turn the ball over. It's going to be a rowdy atmosphere in Jordan-Hare the last time these two teams will play in November, which I think is just a damn Shame, Ryan Skates. I think it's completely unfortunate that the SEC did not make Auburn repay Georgia after Georgia went to Auburn two years in a row through conference expansion. Instead, they are moving this game to late September, early October after Auburn complained about having to play Alabama and Georgia, either both at home or both on the road in the same season. I was under the impression that Georgia said, okay, we will do this because they were under the thought that the Florida-Georgia game or the Georgia-Florida game, for that matter of fact, would become a home-and-home series. That, of course, hasn't happened yet. But, hey, it's time for Georgia fans to enjoy this opportunity. Nothing like clinching the division in Auburn. Give me your last thoughts about this game, and then I'll let you uh, get on out of here, my man. You're absolutely right. It is a crying shame this game is moving away from November to September. I mean, how many amazing Georgia football moments have happened in late November? Um, first to the Sugar Bowl have been won. Trips to the SEC championships have been won. SEC East championships have been won. Hopefully Georgia finishes this, you know, 100-plus year run of playing Auburn at the end of November by clinching a divisional championship. To your point, you can't blame the SEC for this, though. Nobody's going to push the University of Georgia Athletic Association around unless the University of Georgia Athletic Association allows themselves to be pushed around. So we should be just as upset with the people at Athens as we should be with the people in Birmingham for taking this away from the fans. Uh, Georgia's going to win a close game. I don't think Georgia trails again until early December in Atlanta when they see the Tigers. Yeah, it's going to be a fun finish to the season. I know all Georgia fans are extremely excited about the prospects of heading back to Atlanta. And I understand you're heading back to Atlanta too, my friend, with some hardware in tow. What'd you do this weekend? Let everybody know why you're on top of the world. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you're talking to the second flight winner from the Sea Island member member tournament, 6358, with a a seven-shot win in our flight. It was a lot of fun. Uh, We lived out a 60-foot putt to win the shootout. And then uh, we couldn't fake the comebacker to tie, which is maybe one of the most Georgia fan things ever. <laughs> I was playing with a former Georgia golfer named Chris Templeton. We had a blast. And we certainly won uh, the award for most beers consumed on Sunday. So uh, it, was a, it was a great, great weekend. Well, good job, my man. Congratulations on the flight championship. And thanks so much for filling in. For my co-host Aaron Murray on such short notice, but another punt and pass in the books with your boy Ryan Skates. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan Skates and at Poor Man's Game Notes. Follow Aaron at Aaron Murray Eleven. Follow me at Drew Butler Thirteen and follow us at Punt and Pass. Ryan, thanks so much. We will talk to you guys on Thursday. For Ryan, I'm Drew. See you.